Hey everyone, our friends from artsreligionculture.org who we interviewed in episode 14 are having an amazing gathering this spring in Boston on March 9th and 10th. This is going to be an awesome time in which creativity, imagination, and spirituality come out and play together. The Rising is going to be there and we'd love to have you join us. You can register at theopoeticsconference.org and listeners of The Rising get 10% off the registration fee with the code THERISING. We hope to see you there. We want to know, how can spirituality transform our social movements? And how can activism connect us to a life that embodies radical compassion? We'll ask these questions and more on The Rising, Spirituality for Revolution. Welcome to The Rising. I'm Rebecca Burnt. And I'm Chelsea McMillan. And we're spiritual directors exploring the intersection of spirituality and social transformation. Today, we're going to be interviewing Vera de Chalambert. Uh, she is somebody who first came onto my radar last year after the election when she wrote this article that went viral. Uh, it was called Kali Takes America. And I know that I, like I'm sure you, Chelsea, and most of our listeners, uh, after the election last year, uh, were kind of, I know for me, uh, listening to the returns, I woke up in the middle of the night, and because I I went to bed not feeling good, but like convincing myself that everything was going to be okay in the morning, Mm -hmm. and I woke up in the middle of the night, and I checked my phone, and I was just like, what... (laughs) And I literally had like convulsions. I had almost like a sort of traumatic Mm. um, physical energetic unloading in my body. I just felt like these waves of like sort of convulsions basically go through my body because I did not understand what was going on in the world anymore. And Mm -hmm. I it was just like a a complete. um, Yeah, it felt it felt totally devastating. And it was interesting because I heard a number of spiritual teachers at that time um, say things in in those days right after the election saying, like, this is something that's like – it's almost like an event that is bigger than just the political cycles of our country. Mm -hmm. Like there's something that's going on here on a deep spiritual and energetic level that – it's almost like this needed to occur to wake us up in some way. Yeah. Um, and Vera's piece called Kali Takes America really pulled that together for me. And it's a really, really powerful piece of writing. But yeah, I think, and you'll hear as uh, we go into this interview, she starts off just speaking in a very, very powerful way. But I... Uh, because of that article, she's been on my radar for a little while, and I was just so excited uh, when I reached out to her um, after a mutual friend kind of connected us and was basically said, oh, you should friend her on Facebook. And now, of course, it turns out that we have a lot of friends in common, but I was so excited that she said yes. And as I hope our listeners will will hear, she is a powerful, powerful woman, and um, it's a really special conversation. Yeah. I think what you sort of are speaking to, um, 
mirrors what a lot of people were feeling in this sort of not being able to make sense of what was going on. Mm-hmm. And, um, and whether they knew it or not, I mean, if, if you don't have a spiritual guide telling you that this is like a really important moment in our history, um, then it can be, I think it's been really disorienting for a lot of people to, I mean, we've spent a year now with this administration and I think a lot of people are still, um, maybe like reeling from denial and, um, that night I was in New York city at, um, at a talk with Marianne Williamson and we were watching the election results coming in and, um, and we didn't, it, it, the event didn't go so long that we all just like stayed until the very bitter end. You know, they had to like mm-hmm. end the event at some point. Um, but it was not looking good at that point. And, and, and actually Marianne had come out with like a lot of, she'd started the talk with like a lot of confidence and a lot of like, this mm-hmm. is the time, this is the time for the, the woman to take power. And, and it was so exciting to, to see Hillary Clinton. I mean, whatever you think of Hillary Clinton, it was like exciting to, uh, for a lot of us to see yeah. a woman possibly being able to take power. Totally. But then when it looked more dire as the night went on, um, Marianne said something like, okay, this is the time that we're called to. And Mm -hmm. like, we are all called to be right here at this moment in history. Um, (laughs) This moment in history to see a tyrant being elected, like, you know, in a semi-democratic process. (laughs) And, And I think one thing that Vera brings up a lot is this sort of like this initiation that we all have to go through on the spiritual path. Mm -hmm. And, and I really think that that's like that moment in American history where it was like, okay, like no more time for bullshit, no more time for this like false, uh, I mean, Avira talks about it so much more eloquently and poetically than I am right now. But, um, but just like seeing through the falsities of our, of our culture, you know, Mm -hmm. and thinking of the U S as like, it's an entity in itself, like, like what dominates like these like you know celebrity culture dominates mm-hmm. like people who are made up all the time and there's like fancy lighting and things and people like look you know a million times better than anybody could ever look mm-hmm. in real life <laughs> you know like things that are just so false you know and, like this false and excess yeah. And, yeah and the bravado and um anyway so it's just been really kind of amazing to like see this transition. And it's not like knowing that, you know, and and I want to add pretending we don't see color, (laughs) like pretending that we don't see race. Yeah. Right. Right. There's like a lot of, a lot of shit in there. And actually this is sort of a side note, but it reminds me of, um, Richard Rohr says that the U S is a three on the Enneagram. Mm. (laughs) And that's like that performer aspect, like everything's good. We're all good. I'm like, I, you know, we're all tanned and blonde and, and beautiful and we have no problems here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Anyway, but I just think it's like, it's not that coming to this realization makes it easier. Like, oh, this is a, an important moment in history and Kali's coming and okay, now I know. It's like, we still don't know. It just like gives us that sort of sense of like, okay, we're called to this moment yeah. and, and we're learning how to operate from there. And I think it creates the conditions for us to hopefully be able to surrender and trust whatever process is happening right now, even if we don't totally understand it or totally understand what the outcome is. And and I want to be like, I'm not saying that we just 
acquiesce and become complicit and like no, don't no. don't engage or don't fight or any of those things. But it's about this like on a on a if we step out of the struggle for a moment, looking at it from a, a larger perspective uh, of uh, what one one spiritual teacher I know calls deep time, understanding that we are in a moment where something is happening that needs to happen. And if we choose to surrender to the divine right here and right now in this moment, we can become agents of her grace yeah. and her truth and justice in the world. And we can be fully in it instead of freaking out and becoming yeah. ineffective, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's about really going into that sometimes dark, messy place. I mean, something that we'll talk later about is, um, I think we've touched on a little bit, like there's sort of a, an emphasis in spirituality on light and like, mm -hmm. oh, we just need to like find the light and we'll be okay. And we right. need to be the light in the darkness or whatever. But, and sometimes that's true, but it's like, we actually need to sort of go into the darkness and find some senses that aren't being used. Um, yeah you know, and like trusting that and surrendering to that. And the darkness is holy too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, here's our interview with Vera. Vera de Schallenberg, MTS, is a spiritual storyteller and Harvard-educated scholar of comparative religion working at the feet of the Great Mother. She offers healing process work and spiritual direction via Skype, writes and teaches classes on mindfulness in the modern world and the divine feminine. She gives talks and presentations around the world and was a speaker at SAND, Science and Non-Duality Conference in the U.S. and Europe, and Sister Giant in Washington, D.C., Vera holds a bachelor's degree in religion and literature and a master's degree in comparative religion from Harvard Divinity School. Her healing work is informed by rich insights from both Eastern and Western philosophies. She is a graduate of Barbara Brennan School of Healing and a student of Jason Shulman's non-dual healing work. You can find her online at healingawakening.com. Welcome, Vera. Thank you so much for being with us on The Rising today. Um, I already feel like we've known you for years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, sometimes we start off with um, some ice-breaking conversation if we don't know our guests too well. And and it just felt like you, Vera, were like an old friend who we yeah. hadn't talked to in years. <laughs> Definitely. Like, like we've already been woven together somehow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Vera, I'm wondering, can you just start off by telling us some of your story? What brought you to work with the divine feminine and um, especially the dark feminine that you've written about in some of your pieces? Oh, yeah. What a question. <laughs> so so there's there's this part of me that, that has felt very guilty for appropriating a, a Hindu goddess mm. because so much of my work has been um, very specifically about... Kali, where I've 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 chosen to name what's emerging collectively, um, with the aspect of the divine feminine that is closest to my heart, which mm -hmm. is Kali. And so there's this part of me that's always, you know, how dare you appropriate? Who who do you think you are? And mm -hmm. um, a, a dear friend of mine said, "Oh, don't worry, honey. You know, she's really appropriating you." So oh, wow, <laughs> this is this is. Um, this is my my hope. My hope is that somehow I'm being appropriated by by the energy that is emerging right now collectively, which I see as 
the sort of what Meister Eckhart would have called the super essential darkness of the soul. Mm. Mm. Because the ground of the soul is dark. And there's something for me about our time, the time in which we live, in which we are so fucking tired of bullshit. Mm. We are so tired of faux spirituality mm-hmm. and false shine and glimmer of false paradigms of success mm-hmm. and what the world should look like and what the feminine should look like fucking enough and what mm-hmm. spiritual life should look like only if mm-hmm. we are pure only mm-hmm. when we have resolved all of our neuroses only when we have improved ourselves to some kind of, you know, enough. There's something in our time which is emerging, which is emergent, which um, is yearning for the real. And for me, that's the work and the territory of the dark feminine. In the traditional Kali myth, what has happened is that demons have taken over the world. And they have taken over the world specifically because of the hubris, hubris, I'm sorry, English is not my first language, but the hubris of of the gods. So demons have been doing uh, incredible amounts of spiritual practices and have been given Mm. boons by the gods. So there's this like very direct reference to spiritual materialism, right? Like the more spiritual practices you do and then you get rewards. The rewards you do for being get for being spiritual, and so the rewards that uh, one of the rewards that this demon or in some some references demons received from the gods is uh, regeneration. So uh, they cannot be conquered by any god or any man, and they can regenerate themselves. And so, uh, you know, here also speak about the underestimation of the feminine. So the demons uh, asked to not be conquered by any god or men. They didn't even assume that a goddess could conquer them. And so here, the only hope uh, the world has now is for the divine feminine, for the Devi, who uh, might have the chance of conquering these demons because they're not immune to her power. And so you can imagine this is very apocalyptic. The demons have already taken over the world. And now the only hope rides into the battlefield. And it is Durga, the great goddess, the Devi. And she is, oh, she's dressed in red. And she's riding in on her, on her tiger or sometimes on her lion, but very evidently on her pussy. And, <laughs> and she is... Uh, She's bearing weapons of war in all of her grace, you know, with her ten arms, and she is she is fighting valiantly. Except that every time she slays a demon, a thousand more demons emerge. And so it seems that the more she wins, the more she conquers, the more the demons are actually winning. And she is understanding that the battle for the world is about to be lost. And suddenly, from within her third eye, this deeper, darker, most fierce form of the feminine emerges, and that's the dark feminine. And that's Kali. And Kali is unlike anything divine that we have been uh, comfortable with in the West. 
Mm. at least. She is, she is dark and she's dirty and she's bloody and she's angry. She's full of righteous indignation and rage. And she has a red tongue that she's sticking out and she has weapons and she is covered with with the blood of demons and she fights valiantly and she's a woman right she's not just mm. she is this wild dark un, incomprehensible feminine you know and, and for me it's like this 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 aspect of the divine before which we are completely in awe and fear the kind of divine that strips us to the bone that first demands a sacrifice and the sacrifice is us right that aspect of reality that kind of carves us out that strips us of the false self and it is meant to be completely fucking terrifying and so that aspect of reality itself emerges. And she is so bloodthirsty. She is so bloodthirsty. She, she begins to lick up the blood of demons before it hits the ground. And therefore they cannot regenerate. And therefore in her ferocious power and shakti and, and rage and heartbreak for the world, her child, right? She slays the demons and she saves the world. And so the gods begin to rejoice. Oh, the world has been saved. But Kali, in her rage, in her rage over the dis disassociation with the feminine, in her heartbreak for the world, which has had to perish, in her, in her power and in her glory, she begins to dance. And as she dances, she is the goddess of death and she's the goddess of destructions and she's raging and she's dancing and the world begins to shake. And now it is no longer the demons that are threatening the world. It is Kali's terrible death of destruction that is shaking the world and the universe is bobbling. And the gods, once again, the gods are terrified and they do the only thing that, that is appropriate, of course, for gods and men to do when a woman is dancing and raging and out of their control. They run to her husband, Shiva, and they say, Shiva, your wife is out of control. Go do something. <laughs> And Shiva knows. Shiva knows. And so he goes and, and he lays himself down. He prostrates himself before the great mother. And the story goes that he calls out Ma, Ma, and Kali remembers that she is the mother of the mm. universe and stops her dance and calms down. And the, 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 a union of the masculine and feminine happens and she's all soothed and the world is able to be reborn again. But you see, I think that Kali didn't need to be to be told when to stop. And I think that although in the myth it's like Shiva goes to come to, to stop her crazy antics, right? There's this aspect of like we can't trust the feminine, that there's something innately intolerable and not mm. trustworthy about the wisdom of the feminine that's right, that we have to send a man to stop mm. it. 
<laughs> I I think there is another interpretation, and that is, and I'm so blasphemous, of course, but that is that the feminine always knew when to stop, mm. that Kali didn't need to be soothed or mansplained by her husband, <laughs> mm. that Kali knew what she was doing. She needed to shake up the old world, to make the world tremble, to get rid of the false paradigms of power upon which that world was built. The world needed to be shaken up. What Ralph Waldo Emerson says, only to the degree that we are unsettled, is there any hope for us? Mm. And so Kali, Kali was the great hope of the world in her wild dance, in shaking us up, in shaking the world up enough for it to tremble to its core so that it could be reborn. And Shiva, in his wisdom, knew that he only needed to provide his absolute presence and spaciousness for her dance. Mm. That in that holy spaciousness, with no bit of mansplaining, could she do what she needed to do to the world so that the world can be reborn through her holy, holy womb, tomb and womb. And so I, I think, you know, and for, of course, for me, there is this really, you know, and I hate making parallels. It's just, it's, sometimes it's too much, but there is a sense in me that feels like we are in our time living in a kind of a postmodern Kali Yuga mm-hmm. where we have been beckoned, we have been called upon to become the mothers of the world, to, to become the Kalis of the world, to allow our feminine heartbreak and rage and wisdom to emerge from the core of our being so that we too can fight for our world. And it doesn't look pretty. And it is bloody. And it is messy. And it is devastating. And it is uncomfortable. And all of the spiritual, deepest spiritual territories within us are being beckoned to emerge, to grow, to mature. The f- old paradigms of, of happy, you know, spirituality of, of love and light and, and uh, you know, um, empowerment and enlightenment, mm. where the old maps could facilitate, that the old mostly patriarchal maps could facilitate for us are over. This time of sitting, of staring at walls is over. We're living in what the scientists call the sixth extinction Mm. of species. Mm -hmm. If, If ever there were signs of the time, you know, we have one every day now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so what I believe is called upon within us is this deepest, most fierce of the mystery within us, which which isn't a return to some kind of like an uh, an, an old old matriarchal spirituality because i feel like there's a tendency to hmm. do this sometimes mm-hmm. when we speak about feminine spirituality oh it's the reemergence of the goddess and i want to say no i want to say that what is emerging is completely new and therefore so completely precious it's like somehow 
you know, Meister Eckhart also said, um, and Adam Bucko, who we all know loves to say this, and I, so I want to quote it and with him as the first time I heard my, this quote from Meister Eckhart was from him. He said, what good is it that, that Mary gave birth to Christ mm. 2,000 years ago? We are each called to become the mother of God because God is always needing to be born. And so there's this sense in which really the call from the deep is very strong right now. Mm-hmm. So that life itself can use us, God herself can use us to become the mother of mothers of God that we need to become in order for the world to rebirth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and so part of the work that we must do is in our own darkness, in their own in our own deepest territories in embracing the parts of our spiritual lives that are not pre-mapped for us, that are um, not comfortable or convenient or easily facilitated even, right? Like to use everything in our lives as coal for the fires of awakening. Is it fear? Is it heartbreak? Is it complete confusion and uncertainty and depression even? Whatever it is that's arising within us, that is trustworthy. That Mm. is sacred. And that is the food for our spiritual lives. No more, you know, we purify ourselves until we are pure enough (laughs) to be embraced by the divine. Fuck that. (laughs) The feminine has no orphans. The mother has no orphans. And that goes for our inner territories, for our spiritual territories, and for the outer territories in our world where we are not free until we're all free. Mm -hmm. And we must, you know, rise for each other. Completely, you know, give ourselves over completely, surrender our lives completely in service to that. And at the same time, surrender our spiritual lives completely to that holy and impossible and even even sometimes um, illogical wisdom of the feminine, Mm. which knows how to use us better than we know ourselves, which Mm -hmm. emerges when we have come to the end of all of our resolutions and solutions and, and certainties and spiritual kind of exercises. When we are on our hands and knees and everything we most yearned to keep has been stripped from us and we no longer know where to go, we no longer know what to do, all of our tools and weapons don't work anymore to fight, to fight what we think we need to, to fight, you know, within us. Mm-hmm. And then some th- through this kind of a radical surrender, a kind of a deep giving up, something emerges, right? This deeper aspect of the self emerges and does what needs to be done. Wow, Vera. (laughs) It's so funny because I feel like I'm all um, prepared to have this like intellectual conversation about the dark feminine and you just like showed it to us right there. (laughs) You know, like this wild, I can just feel the, the profound energy rising through you and... And I even noticed my own reaction of like, 
wow, like I want that so badly. And I feel like I, I've held it back for so long. Like it feels so unfamiliar, you know? Well, it's so, it's, it it isn't familiar. It is unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. It's completely unfamiliar. It isn't exactly emergent means it has never, it's not something that, uh, we, we, we don't know the map. Mm-hmm. even and the old maps who are they written by every single spiritual tradition has been created by usually celibate men for for yeah. usually <laughs> celibate men amen and fuck that I mean yeah. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that so many no, times please. but that's all say I want to say fuck that fuck all of it yeah you yes. know, we don't know what what feminine spirituality really looks like. I mean, we have a lot right. of of it emerging. You know, so many, so much work has been happening among women. Um, you know, and and it's amazing to see what happens. But men or women, I'm speaking about the feminine, and the feminine isn't woman. The feminine mm-hmm. is within mm-hmm. men and women. Yes. The feminine, for me, is that territory. Um, is that territory within all human beings, which. Um, I mean, it's funny, I actually am very scared to say what it is. I don't want to. I don't want to confine it, right? Like, mm-hmm. here I am mapping something again. Right. Mm-hmm. But what I want to say, it's about being so intimate with life, so intimate with reality, that we stop turning away. Yes. Right? That we, someone says this, so this is not my quote. I just wish I, I remembered who. Reality is our tantric consort. Hmm. Hmm. Reality is our tantric consort whatever it is that is appearing in our life that is what we're meant to be using that is our holy ground right neurosis in our relationship that is the holy ground upon which awakening can happen the deep personal neurosis where we're lost and dysfunctional and devastated and depressed, that is the sacred ground from which we emerge. The deeper aspect of the self can emerge, but we have to be so intimate with whatever it is that's here. We have to get out of that habit of turning away from what's inconvenient, from what looks messy, mm-hmm. right? I mean, in me, for example, it's like who, and I know this is very, very common in, in us. We, we discussed it a little bit before, like who the hell am I to have a voice? Mm-hmm. How dare I speak my mm-hmm. truth? How dare I assume that I have wisdom? How dare I trust what I know deeply in my feminine, irrational intuitive soul when it looks so different from anything I see on the outside, Mm -hmm. when I have been conditioned and taught and trained not to trust that because it is unsafe, because it is unknown, Mm. right? So that place in us that doesn't trust the place from which wisdom emerges, which is from complete shattering, from complete disruption of the way things are, And yet truth disrupts, right? Jesus turns over the tables. And Kali is that aspect of Christ Mm -hmm. that turns over the tables Mm -hmm. within us, right? And again, you know, for now, it's so interesting to see what's happening collectively, right? Absolutely. Where there is this kind of like a yearning for the end of shit as usual. Mm -hmm. Right. Right, this yearning for for deeper intimacy with each other, with I don't know, with with our wild and and unkempt and un unmanicured essence, yeah. uncivilized, uncivilized, yeah. yeah. All of that. 
It's so when you you know just hearing you talk about this, I had um, an experience the year before last when I was going through a, a breakup that was really painful for me, mm-hmm. and I started having these um, like dreams and visions of myself as a tiger running oh, through the wow. jungle, wow. and I was like just like tearing into things and wanting to drink every all the blood. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, oh my god. And Rebecca. oh my god. It was so intense and it was like oh no, like what's this? This is my rage that I have to like stuff down, like I can't, mm, you know, like wow. but I knew, I knew that uh, there's something here that I need to like create space for. There's something mm. in me that's awakening that I've been I've been tamping down to make myself lovable oh. to men or oh. acceptable to the, oh. the structures and systems that I'm a part of in my life. Um, and I had to, like, I had to create space for myself to have, like, I started having some, frankly, kind of violent fantasies. And I was mm. like, what is going on here? It was scaring oh. me. It was freaking me out. And I just thought, like, Okay, I've, I I know that like I'm not gonna go out and kill anybody, <laughs> like knife them. But I have like I there was something around drinking blood <laughs> that I kept oh, having yes. fantasies around. Amazing, and I have to just let it be. Like I have to give myself some space for that. And 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 I saw that really like now, like I see that I've been on this journey of integrating that like that part of me that's like just doesn't give a shit. That's like okay. If I just speak up my truth in, like, a really kind and respectful manner and you think that I'm a bitch because of that, then fine. I'm a bitch. I've got Mm -hmm. no trouble. (laughs) No trouble with with you seeing me that way if that's the way you need to see me. But it's not going to stop me from saying what I need to say. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, um, I'm having chills as you're speaking. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And and it seems to be to be a process that's that's collectively emerging for so many of us. And it's, it's how Kali of you, what a Kali kind of oh, totally. uh, archetypal dream and the tiger and the, oh, oh yeah. You know, and, and what's, two things. One is that I believe that, so you said it, it, was, it began to happen as your relationship mm-hmm. was ended. And so, so upon, um, you know, from this kind of a breaking, being cracked open somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from yeah. A, from a shattering, from a breaking open, something deeper within you emerged or was beginning to emerge, and I find that that is actually a really important ingredient. So we mm-hmm. spend, we usually get into our spiritual life to 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 figure it out, right? To figure it out and to make our lives and ourselves look more look look more awakened, enlightened. Uh, you know, mm. in small, more, more together somehow, right? And and yet, really, as we um, commit to our spiritual lives and get taken deeper, the extreme opposite happens. We don't become mm-hmm. more empowered. Mm-hmm. We we surrender everything we have yeah. to the divine and 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 become extremely vulnerable. Mm-hmm. We don't become more illuminated. We actually throw thrown into the dark night of the soul into mm-hmm. cycles of the dark nights that do with us what needs to be done so that the the truth of who we are can emerge, right? So there's this sense upon which these, these shattering experiences, these heartbreaks, these um, breakdowns, the breakdown is um, the fire in which we have to stand 
um, mm. that is the grace which carries us through to the mm-hmm. rebirth, right? It's like, it's always through the cracks. I mean, Leonard Cohen said, right, the light is how the, how, uh, the, the cracks is how the light gets in. And, it, and it's so profoundly true, right? It's like something mm-hmm. has to crack us open. How do we say yes to that? Mm-hmm. I mean, the beauty of it, we don't have to say yes to it. Maybe the ego's function is not to be able to say yes to that. Mm-hmm. And yet, how magnificent and glorious when something is stronger than our own habits and, and, and certainties and preferences, when we mm-hmm. can't hold it back anymore, when we can't keep ourselves together anymore. Right. You know, it's interesting. I was speaking to somebody. Um, I was at a conference the the weekend before last, um, and I met a woman. I hope we can interview her sometime. Who studies uh, reproductive biology and specifically what happens with the sperm and the egg at the mm-hmm. moment of conception? And she said, the as the sperm approaches the egg, they like start to sort of quiver. Um, the sperm kind of quivers with excitement and then it's engulfed by the egg. The egg chooses to receive it. Mm. It engulfs it. And at that moment, the whole, uh, the sperm itself is sort of like destroyed. It releases all the zinc Mm. and the whole egg lights up. Wow. And she said it's... Lights up how? So the zinc actually causes, there's a video, um, there's like a video of this that actually someone just posted the other day on Facebook that it, it... when they look at it under a microscope, um, the zinc causes the the egg to emit a glow. What? Wow. Yes, Amazing. yes. I'll, I'll send you the video. But um, but the whole point she was saying, she said, like, like this is the journey of conception. Like the sperm has to, essentially, the masculine has to sort of allow surrender itself to the feminine, allow oh. itself to be mm. engulfed oh. and consumed oh. and destroyed. But it doesn't really die. It be Begins, it becomes mm. together so, oh. they become something new right oh chills and she was like we all know how to this is in our bodies like we all know how to do this journey but we're all afraid oh yeah. you know? so and, and you just you just for me you just explained the spiritual process mm-hmm. yeah right? that absolute it's like the crucifixion is the condition for resurrection mm. Yeah. You know, complete. You have to go into the womb of the cave and, and yeah. the darkness. Yeah, you have, and you have to be, you know, in, in, there's a beautiful vision that, you know, kind of speaks to that somewhat. But um, the Ramakrishna, who was the great devotee of, of the Divine Mother of Kali, uh, uh, an Indian saint, um, you know, a beautiful, naked woman with dark skin is, is uh, emerging from the water. And uh, he he sees her approach. And as she walks naked from the river Ganges towards him, he begins to see that she's actually growing uh, with child. And so she begins to become full in her pregnancy and and luminous in her her fullness. And, And then... Her, she's completely full, and then the waters within her break, and she comes on her knees and she gives birth, you know, in front of him to to the child, and um, the child begins to suckle, to suckle her breast, and uh, there's this this deep bonding that happens, and they look at each other, and then as the child grows in her arms, and as he begins to grow. 
the the heavens turn dark. The heavens turn dark and the water becomes becomes, um, ominous and uh, the beautiful young woman's face turns dark and her eyes turn dark and she rips her child apart limb by limb, consuming, consuming her child completely. And then she returns back into the water. Oh, and what a horrid, wow. horrid vision, right? <laughs> One would imagine. But, but that cycle is the spiritual life. Mm-hmm. By the way, I just want, I want to name drop. I want to say that everyone who does not know Mirabai Starr's work needs mm-hmm. to go right yes. now and read everything yes. that she has ever written because through her for now decades the feminine has been pulsing and emerging mm-hmm. and yes. the dark feminine and, and you know so specifically her work with with the dark night of the soul so please go right now get Love everything she's ever written <laughs> yeah. she's the embodiment of of uh, she, she's the reason I'm in any way anything because I feel like so much of her her work has shaped everything I I, I now have come to see. But um, so what I want to say is that the, the Saint John of the Cross, you know, speaks about of God in the beginning of our spiritual life. God is this illuminated mother, and she is she is uh, breastfeeding us, right? She is nursing us, and we love that closeness and that intimacy and that direct kind of whatever pulls us in, whatever spiritual experience we had that made us feel close to the divine. And then mm-hmm. God gives us her milk so that we can begin to to bond. Uh, with 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 the holy to bond with with the divine, but then the process of weaning begins, right? And the process of weaning is so uncomfortable, and we throw shit fits and tantrums because we want, and, and we need to be in the next room because the mother can't be with us all the time while we're while we're weaning, right? Mm-hmm. And so, to me, the process of spiritual maturation I see as Kali. For mm-hmm. Saint John of the Cross, it was the dark night of the soul, and for me, the 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 archetype of Kali is the embodiment of the dark night of the soul, which only appears dark. Why? Because it is that fierce. That's the fierce grace, the wrathful grace that we must that we must surrender ourselves to in order to become initiated into the deeper aspect of our of mm-hmm. our heart of our wisdom of 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 our spiritual lives and so the maturation process feels like you're being your head is being cut Mm. off and your heart is being ripped open and your you know your everything that you believed yourself to be is being destroyed it is the wrath of all wraths merciless mercy merciless mercy Mm. you know and um it's like once the holy one once she carves us out with her weapons so that we can become a vessel, we can become an instrument of her grace. But we can't do that as long as we are full of our own ideas mm-hmm. f- about spirituality, full of our own ideas about what, what it all should look like, what we should look like, right? So yeah. life herself, reality herself, huh, has this grace of doing it to us through breakups, through crises, right? It's really the crisis that begins that process usually. And through spiritual crises that usually we try to get over very quickly so that we can move along (laughs) with things as usual, 
right? We want, and really, we don't allow the process to do what it needs to do very often. And I want to really encourage us in these times, especially where so much of what we know is being stripped from us and we're really being initiated mm-hmm. collectively. Mm. Right? We're being initiated collectively. I want to encourage us to trust the darkness, to trust the process of, of, of this initiation, of this devastating, wrathful initiation. That there is in this process a deeper wisdom than, we, than whatever it is we would have chosen from our egoic decision-making mm-hmm. process. Um, Marion Woodman, who is a, a, psycho, a, mm-hmm. a um, union psychoanalyst and um, has this, uh, you know, speaks about how we have lost our connection with ritual. Oh, another plug. So Carolyn yeah. Baker and Andrew Harvey has, have just written this um, beautiful oh, book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, Savage Grace. Savage Grace, exactly. Uh, specifically speaking to what they see as emerging collectively. Yeah. Um, and so I really, you know, People should get this book and read this book because they really sort of speak to this process that they see unfolding. But um, Marion Woodman speaks about how we've lost our connection to ritual and how devastating that is for our world. Because in traditional societies, um, every young person, usually, usually there was an initiatic process, right? And it looked kind of like this. A young person is taken usually in the middle of the night, usually to the woods or some kind of a dark place, thrown into a dark pit. And abandoned there. And the initiatic process was the young person being in the dark, being completely left to their own unknowing, to their own inner resources they didn't even know they had until they were thrown into the dark pit and Mm -hmm. had to rely on them. Until they have been taken into the dark and their pupils had to dilate and their sense of self had to reorient. And so part of the initiation then, part of becoming an adult was being, was being um, taken into a dark place. And uh, in the absence of rituals in our society, we never really fully mature. We never really fully, mm-hmm. you know, become an adult. And that mm-hmm. I think speaks to the place we are in our ecological moment, right? There's this sense in which um, we have been ridiculous you know, infants or teenagers or, or that destroy, destroying our environment. And so it's like, okay, we are being now, now that it has come upon us, we are going to be moving through a collective initiation. I, th- I see that politically. I see that culturally. I see that ecologically. It's mm-hmm. a necessary process of spiritual maturation. It's a very important moment. Um, that we shouldn't be so quick to to bypass. Mm-hmm. That's doing important work in us, just as those spiritual crises do upon us, each in our own individual lives. So I guess if I had one thing to say is respect. Respect these sacred processes that are always trying to move through us because they are what matures the soul. They are what awakens the heart. And we can trust them. Mm-hmm. We can trust life. Yeah, it's so clear how it's happening on a, a collective scale in this in this country. I mean, yeah. I think of the U.S. as like an adolescent country, and mm-hmm. and yeah, we've seen some like shitty stuff here, but like there's been so much 
abundance, you know, like the sort of stereotype of Americans is like being overweight. Like we just have so much to eat and weight. Yeah. Yeah. So excessive. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that there's a huge awakening happening. Um, we're waking up to, um, the things that aren't so great about our country and it's super uncomfortable and there's so much resistance, um, to what's going on and, and a denial of what's happening. Which is exactly why we have Trump in office, <laughs> you know? It's like when we try and deny our racism and our mm-hmm. misogyny and um, and our love of, of wealth and riches, like, of course that person's going to be right up as an avatar in our, like, highest office you know i know it's it's fine it's final it's fine it's actually a weird shattering of illusion right like that is yeah. in a way yeah. in which why you know people after i read the article a lot of people were like oh so trump is Kali," and i was like no no <laughs> no. no 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 right there, like there was i'm saying the exact i'm saying that 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 trump's the election of trump has made us see what we were unwilling to see before yeah right it was yeah. was a kind of a not enough of a shake-up for us to maybe begin to a see things as they really are you know it has the beauty of it is that we have begun to see these probably more hidden silent fractions in our country which um which were quiet and somehow now got such a such a tremendous platform for mm-hmm. hate hate and racism and and that the first part of healing right is letting the pus out of the wound mm-hmm. mm. And so here we are. Gross. So gross. So gross. (laughs) And so necessary. Oh, come on, you guys. You haven't even (laughs) seen the Come on, you're Oh, you're a nurse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But that's like childbirth. I mean, it's like childbirth is messy and gross and painful and destructive while something new is being born. It is somehow this also suddenly reminded me. I remember um, there, there, uh, someone asked Ken Wilbur a while ago. Oh my god! Am I bringing bringing in dudes again? Oh my god! No, I'm not gonna do <laughs> it's, that. Okay. it's okay. Um, but I was gonna say, someone asked him about. Okay, so mask. We know what masculine non-duality looks like. What what would feminine non-duality mm. looks like? What would what what do women tend to do with non-duality? And so he said something interesting. He said, you know, in in I don't remember what century, but there were there were um, communities of of mystical nuns. I don't know, 14th century, and what they did is they licked the wounds of lepers. So what the feminine wow. does with non-dual awareness isn't to take it up the mountain oh. away from this world but engage completely with mm. it licking the wounds of lepers right wow. like how do we do that how can we offer ourselves up in such a way i mean maybe we don't need to lick the wounds of lepers but i think there's <laughs> mm-hmm. something really powerful about that there's there's a um, a buddhist practice um that i'm suddenly sorry i'm kind of being weaving it all together in this kind of very weird no. way but no, um great. i'm suddenly reminded of the practice of chod which hmm. is a buddhist um practice created by a woman which is quite quite unusual um in the buddhist lineage but there we have a, a, a feminine practice and the practice is okay so follow me and it's very specifically associated with Kali actually so it's interesting I wasn't thinking about it in those terms but it is so a, a practitioner is is invited to go to the most terrifying place for it so it's for this person so it's usually practiced in the most haunted 
terrifying place, very often in a charnel ground or a cemetery, uh, sometimes in some very, very scary natural place which has a lot of danger. And so the practitioner is, is invited to go into this most terrifying of places for the practitioner. Um, and there offer oneself as a sacrifice to uh, all living things and specifically to demons. Now, it's kind of a weird thing, right? Like we don't think of demons needing a sacrifice, but the idea emerges from like the radical bodhisattva consciousness where the practitioner's spiritual essence, practitioner's spiritual body is, being, is offered up completely to the healing of, of all things. And so um, sort of the spiritual body of the practitioner becomes the amrita for the demons and, and for all living beings, gods and demons alike, I suppose. And from that deep sacrifice, the demons become your allies. Mm-hmm. The <laughs> demons remember their original form. The demons remember the goodness that pervades reality. You become the goodness, that initial original goodness that pervades reality through your radical sacrifice. Chod means literally to cut through. So you cut through illusion by offering mm. yourself up as a sacrifice. And I'm, I'm, I'm just, um, I'm suddenly really oh, f- sort of aware of how, how life and spiritual life, and I think our time requires that aspect of us that is able to say yes to becoming a sacrifice, that is willing to say, yes, mother, yes, mother, take me, you know, consume me, use me in whatever way you are able to use me, carve me out, cut through the bullshit. I am tired. Use me, right? I'm at your feet. Use me. I'm, you know, Make of me your stew. Make of me your your soup for the nourishment of of all beings. Mm. Yeah, lick the licking the wounds of lepers. Whatever you know, whatever it is, um, w- use us in ways we might not even know what they are or how to be used or what we're saying yes to. But we trust that you can use us, life. You know, Vera. I'm wondering. I mean, because all of this is so profound and it's poetic and it's moving and, but I could also maybe hear people going like, okay, this sounds terrifying. And what does this actually mean to like surrender to the dark feminine? Like, and I hate to ask that, like, I don't want it to be like mapped out and like, these are the practices to. (laughs) I mean, first of all, I have no idea. What a wonderful question. I really don't know. I mean, for me, it's like, Sitting with not knowing most of the time, mm-hmm. being completely lost in my own life and and trusting that process, feeling my own heartbreak as much as possible, mm. kind of trusting the strange intuitions that make you reach out to me to do this podcast and us realizing mm-hmm. we have like this whole mm-hmm. woven tapestry together, right? Like trusting what emerges as opposed to all the things we used to rely on. Yeah. You know, and that looks so, that is so intimate and so unique for each one of us. Yeah. You know, I think if anything that could be universally said about that is that it's like we have to go into the dark for that process to emerge, right? We have to be able to tolerate a certain amount of uncertainty and heartbreak Mm -hmm. 
so that that deeper mystery within us can begin to operate through us. So I don't know how. It's just unique in for each person, right? So I don't know that I can speak more to that, except that I know that we each have in our lives more than enough fuel for this, mm. for these processes. Usually we resist them. We do everything we can to save ourselves mm-hmm. from what we must feel and, and, and what we know. Because usually what we know is not what is convenient. Mm-hmm. So I guess trusting that, sort of reorienting our our inner lives so that we can more readily trust these messy processes, trust our inner knowing as opposed to the, aff- for which we usually will not get affirmation from the world at large. Mm-hmm. It's like, for me, yeah. it's almost like I've begun to think of it as like listening to reality. Like, you know, I'm not Christian at all. I mean, no, I'm deeply Christian in some ways. Like, I'm in love with Christ and have been from a very young age. I've just recently kind of re- remembered that. But I'm Jewish in my cultural heritage, and but have had lots of Christian influences. But what I wanted to say is, like, um, in the Bible. So, so the, when I when I speak about the Bible, there's a part of me that feels like, am I quoting the Bible? How dare I? But I do <laughs> want to say, like, in in the Bible, there's so many so many uh, uh, references to signs, mm-hmm. right? That God will give us signs, and I think that. Um, listening so deeply to reality that you're able to both feel God's whispers to us deep, deep, deep in our inner world that are not like specific instructions maybe sometimes in which we in ways in which we expect by these impulses right like the mm-hmm. the feminine impulses in the, in dance right like the the impu- that we can learn to trust those impulses of the divine inside of us and mm-hmm. listen to the signs that we might begin to get from the outside mm-hmm. i think that that what you're saying for me resonates a lot you know mm-hmm. i think um learning to trust those impulses that I have been taught to sort of push away or ignore Mm -hmm. was a big part of it. And even, I mean, I, I have to say like, okay, here's, here's just like a a concrete example, maybe just like a small incident, but I was, I was, this was like last year I was in, uh, at work at the, at the hospital and I had an anesthesiologist who in the past it's been like seeing me like sort of brooding or like whatever like I, I'm going through my own stuff right and said like oh are you okay what's going on and I was like you know you know actually I'm okay I'm just very thoughtful and pensive about something but thank you for asking mm-hmm. but I'm fine and he you know had that like sort of masculine thing of like oh no a woman doesn't look completely happy and I somehow have to fix it or uh-huh, like uh-huh, uh-huh. she needs to because I'm uncomfortable with it right and he said to me um he was just like, so he saw me in another room. He's like, smile, and that's an order. And I said, excuse me? And I wow. went off. Oh and I just said, that is incredibly misogynistic for you to say that to me. I will not, I do not smile on command. I said, I don't think you would ever say that to a man. Mm-hmm. And I'm oh. actually very wrapped up in what I was doing at that moment for a patient. I was just focusing on all these things I had to do. And I said, I'm just very serious about my work at the moment and I'm not smiling. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with me, but uh, you know, I just kind of went off on him and I saw there's some other people around me that were just like, (laughs) (laughs) and, and I had so much uh, guilt and shame and, Mm. and and truthfully, I mean, 
if I was, if, you know, like if I was in a little bit different place and like feeling sort of like more um, balanced or whatever, I probably would have said that to him in maybe a less forceful way. (laughs) But, but the thing for me was like, sometimes I think we've been so used to cutting off these like natural parts of ourselves that like assert our boundaries or say like, Hey, I need some respect from you or whatever, that when they come up for the first time, it's like the only way it can come out is in this like explosive way. And sometimes you just have to let yourself do that and be human and not be perfect. And um, I kept wanting to go afterwards into the shame spiral of like, oh, I should have done this differently. I should have. And I, mm. and I mean, it wasn't like I wasn't completely like it wasn't like crazy over the top. I wasn't screaming at him. I was just like very forceful and just like, I am not going to smile for you. That's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, but I just I had to like say like. You know, because truthfully, the spiritual perspective that I've learned from these masculine patriarchal systems is, okay, well, now let me just be attentive to it and be mindful and next time I'll do better. And like next yeah. time if I'm more mindful and I'm doing enough meditation. Right, that right, I'm right, like, right. And I God forbid, God forbid way. you have any emotion because that's unspiritual, right? right? Like the more, totally. the, 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 um, there's such a mistrust of, um, of emotion and of messiness. I mean, you know, which, which. Which makes sense since it's all been developed in monasteries where life was more or, lo- more or mm-hmm. less scheduled and, you know, mm-hmm. provided for and, you know, the rule of whatever. <laughs> right, and it's right, not right. just spirituality. I mean, I think that even our super secular, sometimes even more so in our really secular um, society, there's like such an emphasis on the rational mind and and not having any faith and not having any room to just like listen for these signs. Um, I mean, I know many times in my life I've, I've made decisions and I'm like, wow, this doesn't make sense at all in my rational mind, Mm -hmm. but I can feel something in my gut and, and in my instinct and in your womb, in my womb. Mm. And, and, and I think in my life, I mean, I think that I operate from a gut level, mm-hmm. probably p- primarily, <laughs> um, maybe not to my uh, benefit sometimes, but because um, uh, we do need both. But um, but actually lately, and, and I've been sort of like reticent to even share about this, but um, I've been sort of questioning my relationship. I'm in a, I've been in a partnership for about three and a half years and we've been through Mm -hmm. this process that started about six months ago. That was like completely outside of my rational mind. And it was like, you need to not be together anymore. And Mm -hmm. like, I just felt this, I felt this feeling and, and I've struggled against it for about six months now. And it's been so painful because my mind is like, it doesn't make sense to break up with this person, (laughs) you know? And I feel like I can share this because like we've been through the whole, the whole thing together and, and, and people know this, but, um, but it's been, it's hard. It's really hard to listen to that thing. And it makes me think of just like this whole thing about the dark feminine, you know, an experience of not having your sight in in the darkness, you know, mm-hmm. you have to rely on other senses and you have mm-hmm. to rely on your bodily, like your, your body and mm-hmm. your, um, your touch and things that don't translate as well to this like rational, super logical, like identifying kind of, um, mind that we're all exactly. brought up in and taught to, to use all the time. You know, and it's funny cause what, what that makes me think of is like how a lot of times 
in my observation, men or people who are not to like put everything on them, but like <laughs> people who are operating from that sort of more um, masculine or ras- rationalistic framework, for lack of a better term, um, they a lot of times do follow or listen to these like secretive, like gut sort of intuitive mm-hmm. directives in some ways, but then they've got to come up with like a really rationalist <laughs> excuse, like reason for why it's happening. And I, I've been in that situation with a lot of times a man who's saying to me like, oh, like I'm just, I'm going to do this because like blah, 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 blah. And I want to, I'm just like, look, like give me the real reason. I know you're bullshitting me. Mm. <laughs> that's not the truth. And there's a deeper emotional truth there. And, and like, that's just what I want to hear. Like, let's be real. Like, be real with me. Like, tell me, tell me like, what's the real reason? Like, it's okay. It's okay if it's just that I'm feeling this impulse that I have to, I have to attend to. And I don't know what it is, but it's like, I have well, to those kinds of things have never been modeled for us. Yeah, totally. We don't have any models for that. No one, you know, as, as children, you know, I mean, it's amazing to see I have a, I have a, a daughter and a son. I have a 10-year-old mm-hmm. daughter and an 8-year-old son. And two things that I'm shocked by. Why, one, I'm, I'm really, really, really trying to, to raise children in a conscious way. Um, you know, and my boy is like the quintessential dude and my girl is like (laughs) a mini me, you know, and it's like amazing to hear certain things already and be like, what, how did I miss this? But, you know, like just these things, um, and to also see how my kids are different in a way, you know, to, in a way in which I feel like my son is so emotionally intelligent and she's emotionally growing to be an emotionally intelligent young man because I am reflecting every one of his emotions and telling them him how good they are, how much he's allowed to take, how they are allowed to take space, how, and, and it's like not about becoming emotional beings, but about, you know, emotional reality is no less real and useful than our body. We don't not cutting off our hands. We're not saying, like ooh, what a terrible leg i don't need it anymore let me cut it off it's like no why are we cutting off our emotions then it's like an entire aspect of our being that we now because unfortunately most of us i think have not been reflected um in in these deep ways that every being needs in order to be grow into a healthy psychologically and spirit sort of human being it's like we have to rehelp each other to rewire those places create opportunities for connection and reflection and communication that unfortunately our culture and our families rarely gave us so it's like Mm -hmm. we are then we become the only hope for each other men and women and in discourse Right. And and in such radical transparency and honesty and kind of courageous contact to say, actually, maybe, you know, maybe you don't have the language for that. Maybe we can hold space for it to emerge together. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe men don't know how to name. Yeah. And women either. It's not like men, women. It's Mm -hmm. just like maybe we don't know how to name these things yet. And maybe we feel so unsafe for now even to dare name them. So it's like, how do we support each other? And I think what a a reflection of that, I I guess, what we haven't been taught, like the ways we haven't been taught to sort of allow ourselves to be 
full access to our emotions mm-hmm. and to be able to communicate them in a safe and healthy way than what we're seeing now in a lot of the conversations around sexual culture. Oh, my God. Exactly. Yeah. In our country. And boundaries and consent. Boundaries. Yes. Very much. So so emotion and intuition. So two things. One I want to say is that um, because emotional and intuitive are so close in quality mm-hmm. and so deeply connected and also how we think of emotional is separate from the physical, but how deeply and profoundly both our emotional bodies and our spiritual and our intuitive um, selves are located very specifically in the body. They're very specifically physical. And I think a lot of the problem is that we have cut off the body as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so we cannot listen to the ways in which all of these aspects of our being have been integrated into our biology mm-hmm. and, and are, you know, living through our biology. So I don't, I want to, as we talk about it, I want to sort of like not take them as something that's cut off or separate from, Absolutely. but rather, you know, as an aspect of our whole being that is an embodied aspect of our whole being. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what I think is what's emerging also collectively in the spiritual culture and in general that, it's like we've been so, our mind and bodies have been so split from each other. Our intuition and our bodies have been so split from each other. Um, the feminine has, the feminine is very much the physical as well, right? Like it's mm-hmm. like the embodiment the has been forbidden. Embodiment has been forbidden. Yeah. And so it's like, wow, what a journey before us of embodying what was forbidden for for most of human history, ourselves, the truth. I was just thinking like in terms of like being in touch with our own, um, with our emotions and our own feminine aspects. I know that I've had a lot of trouble with that in my life and have been consciously working on it for a few years now, but I still have such resistance against, um, against like being weak, Mm. (laughs) you know, like I think I still associate even just like on a very like subconscious level, I like associate being feminine with being weak and like my entire, you know, like as a kid, I didn't ever want to be a boy, but I wanted, I remember wanting to be named something like Samantha or Josephine. So I could be called Sam or Joe and like not be as, as girly. Like I just never wanted to be girly you know, and, oh, that's amazing. And how, how you worked with it? How has it sort of shifted? And, um, well, a lot of it kind of started like before sort of like my spiritual journey really like took off. I think a lot of it was just like letting myself sort of connect to some of our more like stereotypical (laughs) feminine things, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I think Mm -hmm. I was like in high school and I like, I had always just had like a normal like haircut, you know, like, I mean, like a, you know, like shoulder length hair and bangs, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then I like something happened. I started wearing makeup and I cut my hair in like this really cute way. And someone like told me I was, well, you know what it was? It was that I thought I couldn't be a smart girl and be pretty. I like, so I wanted to be the smart girl and I thought I was like, that was like the image that I had of myself and, mm. and and I just saw all of these girls who were like obsessed with like the way that they looked and, you know, and I was just like, I, I thought they were dumb, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and like weak and like mm-hmm. all these mm-hmm. things. So. so being feminine, what began to be associated with like weak and dumb. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I don't really know where that came from. Like, 
I think a lot of it comes from evangelical culture because I have a lot of the mm. same stuff. Interesting. Um, I mean, j- j- just to say, I mean, I've never had any of that stuff. I remember the first time I, I ever, the first time I bled, right? The first time I had my mm. blood, I, I, I thought I was dying. Oh, I wow. um I didn't no one ever told me and I was 12 wow. and and I very you know made a very deep deep like understand re- realization like oh my god I guess this is it and so it was like I was facing death because the Whoa. only reason one would be bleeding from <laughs> yeah. inside, inside would be because you're yeah. like broken and you're dying you yeah. know like that was like very full on for me yeah. and so I finally like spent a day thinking that I'm dying and then went to my mom and said mom I have to tell you something I'm dying Right? And so she said, what? Why? And I said, because I'm bleeding from inside. Oh, my right? God. And oh, so, wow. and, and I don't remember what specifically she said, but it was like, oh, she laughed. And she said, oh, honey, no, this is so wonderful. You know, you, you, you can give life now. And somehow that, mm, that I wow. went from like believing I was going to die to the way it got rewired in my 12-year-old brain was that, oh, it's actually that I'm miraculous, Wow. I'm actually mm. going to be bleeding miraculously from my That's body amazing. all the time. That's amazing. Um, and so <laughs> I just like loved it so much and I embraced it so much and I loved being a woman. And I loved everything feminine. Wow. But So what I want to say is that on the other side of that, I mean, maybe some of it with health was healthy, but as a very feminine woman mm-hmm. for as long as I can remember, um, what has been deci- what is decided to be feminine was decided to be feminine by men and intuitively you yeah, pick I mean, it up and shape yeah, yourself yeah, to be yeah. the feminine that Im- that that evokes the most uh something mm-hmm. something it's like sexiness and, and attention connection something yeah. so it's like i don't know to me it's sides of the same coin like yeah. oh not feminine too feminine feminine enough that entire spectrum of quote-unquote feminine what is it you know is it essentialist is it completely constructed and but but still interesting that we each have different affinities or naturally natural affinities towards Mm -hmm. you know different shapes of the feminine and Mm how oh short hair isn't feminine but long hair is feminine like what right right (laughs) what yeah how we've decided a lot of that um Rebecca, you talking about it being an evangelical thing, I think, because there's like this suppression of sexuality and Mm. and not wanting to seem desirable. Yeah, Mm. totally. Not wanting to be seen as desirable. And also, I mean, for me, a lot of it was just hearing that like women are not supposed to be leaders. Mm. Like I heard (gasps) that growing up. Women can lead other women um, and children. Yeah. But they cannot lead men. Um, they can, I mean, in my church, they could speak if they were giving a testimony or sharing, but they can't deliver a sermon. Mm, um, wow. Yeah. And I also heard a lot of women really should be staying at home and taking care of the kids. Yeah. And if you have any career aspirations, that that is somehow um, out of alignment with the, the will of God. Oh, the, and the, the role of the woman, yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so, I mean, amazing. There was a lot of very – and I mean, it, you know, the, the truth is because, like, it's not like I was off in, like, some remote, like, corner in, in rural area. I, I grew up in the Washington, D.C. suburbs. So I got a lot of other messaging, too. And, and I will say my – you know, I, I don't feel like my parents pushed – so, like, you know, like, they always were, like, totally fine with me having some sense of career ambition or, or something like that. But, you know, 
it was I got a lot of it. Yeah, I got a lot of it in all these really subtle ways. And yeah, I just remember feeling like to be a woman was to be sort of weak and to be you know, because my conception of being emotional was like this really specific way that gets modeled in evangelical Christianity, which is like, just be really sweet and sensitive and receptive. Uh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Just only like the soft parts of your emotionality. Uh-huh. And and also, I, I literally heard boys say to me like, well, you know, women can't, should never be in office because they're too <sighs> emotional. It makes them irrational. Yeah. Um, I heard the whole wow. stuff about like, well, what happens if a woman like is having her period and then she like makes an irrational decision? Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I mean, all of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, just completely crazy. I mean, th- th- there's there's a reason that evangelicals are so supportive of, of Trump. Donald Trump, uh-huh. despite yeah. the fact that he. Uh, like just flagrantly flouts so many of their uh, um, alleged like uh, values that they hold, like fidelity and all these other things, right? Oh, um, and why is it? Because because of because the, those because that's sort of the the he's like this caricature of the strong man yeah. of the patriarch, right? Like it, you know, like uh, so many of the people that I I grew up with were like yearning for this like. Um, imagined history where like men were strong men and women were like these homemakers and um, mm. nobody ever got divorced and families never broke up and everything everyone was happy yeah. um, and because the uh, myth because, sort of like idealized yeah. kind of patriarchal totally yeah. totally so yeah and so there was a lot of I idealization of that and a lot of talk about the sanctity of the family and of marriage and and um yeah it's why it's why uh homosexuality is so threatening to them and gay marriage and Mm -hmm. any sort of like gender bending (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah can i can i say something that came up uh while you were talking about like career ambition and and Mm -hmm. but then like the woman's place in the home Mm -hmm. i am I am struggling with this in myself right now. And <laughs> like I've just been like really desiring, like wanting a family and uh, having kids and being a mother. And like, I feel that urge so strongly and I want to be doing this work in the world that is growing right now. And I had this, um, uh, a healing session with a woman a couple of days ago. And, and I was like talking about sort of, like, do I want children? Like this question that's up in my life. And she was like, do you want to birth a revolution? Or do you want to birth a baby? Or do you want to birth both? And I was just like, I don't know. It's just like, it's up right now. And I think that this is something that like, sometimes seems like a, like a tension that women have to hold. You know what I mean? Like, cause having a kid is so much like, I don't think that we think of men as having that that battle as much like well they don't it's yeah just you reality. can be a father and be a revolutionary exactly <laughs> you know? and i wonder i mean you have kids and you're and you've also well, i have all two a, things first yeah. in reality i have first of all fuck the revolution there's nothing as revolutionary <laughs> as becoming a mother mm. i mean honestly no dark night can possibly compare mm. to wow. the, the the nights the sleepless nights of you know, um, motherhood and Mm -hmm. learning, you know, and I mean, everything it is, it is so direct. It's such direct initiation. 
Mm. So first of all, right now I have older children, but when I had younger children, and you have to know, like my life totally went up in flames. The reason I do this work is because my perfect life of mother and wife and whatever, just, you know, mm-hmm. everything was shattered irrevocably for me. You know, my father died, my marriage fell apart. I was in a big car crash. And so somehow the mother came and burned me up. And then I began to see the mother everywhere. Mm. Um, and I want to say that I would not be able to be doing this work where my children very young now. Mm. I, my children, my daughter is 10. So I feel mm-hmm. like the kind of spaciousness that my life has now with my children going to school, for example, full time, you know, is very different than what, what was my experience when my children were young. Um, and I know people who are able to do it all. Mm-hmm. I just know I, for me, um, all I had was bare, was not enough to be even a good enough mother. So <laughs> for me, it was such a revolutionary, you know, initiation. But I think that it's so unique for every single woman. And this goes back to our to trusting our own intuitions and birthing our own models. Mm. It's like whatever my experience was was so unique to me. And you're, you, I love that your healer is like, do you want this, that, or both? You know, right. it's like, what do you yearn for? And that somehow this deep yearning within you can meet, mm-hmm. can meet whatever it is that that reality would offer in that shape, mm. right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. I just think that that it's interesting. Two things that you said are interesting. One, men definitely don't have to deal with it in the same way. It's simply true. I think male spirituality is shaped in a way which doesn't even take into consideration. Like, for example, for example, how, what is a spiritual life like for a woman? Certainly never up, a, up and away. Like, the child needs to be fed and the house needs to be made. And, like, right. if, if spirituality is reserved for monastic practices, you know, that eliminates yeah. every mother. Totally. So then the question emerges, like, what does, a, a, what does deep, mature spirituality for a mother might look like? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think of some of the, the, the conversations I've had with some of the people in the, the circles that we're all a part of, um, some, some of my women friends, we've talked about, like, what if we had a meditation retreat where children could come? Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, <laughs> what a concept. That sounds so strange to me. Like, right. But duh. I know? remember being at a Cynthia Bougeau, uh retreat with her one time and – um, the woman that was sitting on the cushion next to me meditating was also nursing her baby at the same time. Oh, and that, to me, was just that's like... That's amazing. I, I remember. So I was that woman in many contexts. So I was doing these, you know, deep spiritual immersions and, and healing school. And, you know, for everything I did, I needed to put away my child, find a caretaker, put away my child, but I never wanted to be too far away. And so people were always saying, oh. And I remember the first time someone said, oh, you don't have to put your baby out of the room. It's mm-hmm. okay. And like I cried so deeply mm. in that moment because that was the first time yeah. where I felt like, oh my God, my life was invited in. Mm-hmm. All of me was invited in. I didn't have to split off and cut away my child and my, my you know, nursing moment and like that cocoon in which you are so that I can become spiritual. Someone mm-hmm. said, that's okay. You know, like it's okay yeah. to be spiritual and nurse your baby. It was like, oh my God, the fact that that's not a normal thing is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Talking about this, this like dichotomy. You know, one of the things Chelsea and I were talking about before we before we got on the call with you was just like 
they don't, I don't think that they have to exist. I don't think we have to ask ourselves, like, Mm -hmm. can we do important work in the world and also, like, have children and have a family? Like, this is part of a a choice that's been created for us because of the way that the world's been created. And what does it look like to start to build alternative, you know, frameworks, institutions, and things like that that allow us – and that is a political act too, right? Like making sure that like women have maternity leave and child care when they need it and things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And and families too, you know, and that that fathers can can have that as well. Um, Yeah, life would look so different if it centered women and and children. You know, organizations would work differently and – and and that sort of and the motherhood aspect of men as well, yeah, and the fatherhood aspect of yeah. men too. It's just yeah. that most men. I mean, when you think about it, most this is something I recently thought about, and I don't even know if it's true. Someone who knows history better would have to say to to answer that. But it's like it seems to me that most people on the planet, most most humans on the planet, have been fatherless from one war yes. to the next mm. yes. right like fatherhood hasn't been such an such a, a vocation for men usually it's like mm. fatherhood was just being whatever doing you you just, you, you, yeah. you you were there for the for the confe- conce- um what is it called conception conception right <laughs> yeah. like that was fatherhood so like you had a father but you didn't really you know and i don't know that that's true i'm just wondering like for 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 men it's never enough just to be a father right there's such a like demand of um fulfillment and recognition and success beyond beyond yeah. fatherhood and like for for women motherhood was allowed to be a vocation mm. in itself mm-hmm. yeah yeah um but it's so point. interesting to see so many holy holy men step into fatherhood and cho- just totally change the game and yeah. become the caretaker i mean i have friends who are full-on f- full-time fathers and it's like oh my god i don't know i just think that that's doing something to the collective as yeah. fathers step into their absolutely. fatherhood and caretaker taking roles in such beautiful ways absolutely yeah well vera i know that you need to get going soon to go pick oh. up your kids we should probably turn towards our conclusion yes it's um, such a pleasure. I feel like we could do this for yeah, such I know, a it's forever know. and more topics and more ideas. And totally. you guys, I'm so it's so beautiful to see you doing this and creating such holy space for for the feminine to emerge and to and uh, to be expressed. And thank you for following your your sacred impulses and your creative flow and and for building it because we're mm. all coming oh my god that's all <laughs> <laughs> thank you yeah thank, thank you. you and i hope it's that really this sweet. is i i i have a sense this is probably the first of many conversations that mm. we will yeah. have with you in in different yes um, I yeah, feel that. in the future but um so we like to end our a podcast by asking what is nourishing and inspiring you right now and this can be like a practice a, a book a piece of art whatever is a nour- nourishing and inspiring you right now mm. gosh so many things actually saw you 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 asked me to think about it but i just never had the time <laughs> so, <laughs> so um i mean two things two things one is to give myself permission to fail number one and to 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 not do mm-hmm. I feel like I've been running um against failure against and failure whatever just feel like 
I, this this year has been like, oh my God, I have to become somebody. Oh my God, I have to sh- to prove <laughs> to the world that I have a voice worthy of engagement with, you know, mm. like all of this pressure and devastating, devastating demand of of something more than I am. And so it's been nourishing. It's like I've been slowly landing in myself in this place where it's like, it's okay to to be nothing, to be nobody, mm-hmm. to be a complete awkward mess, failure, whatever that you really are. Like to to take the kind of, I don't know, notion of success out of its typical context, you know, and to like allow myself to just deeply rest in not knowing, in not being. So I like, I will, I used to have lots of, a lot of serious and very intense meditation practice um, for a while, um, various kinds. And now actually when I sit to meditate, I'm not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just, I'm just like sitting. Nothing needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And so I feel mm-hmm. like I'm taking refuge in that place in me that's like, nothing needs to happen. You don't have to become anybody. Mm. Nothing, you don't need to fix it all. You know, it's okay. So I'm holding myself in that place. Yeah. And... I mean, if I if I have a poem that I that I took out here that I would love to read because oh, to me and I this poem has been with me for maybe six months and it's really deep in my heart and I feel like it speaks to I feel like I don't need to write another word because everything has been written in this poem. It's by Christine Lore Weber. I don't, <gasps> Do you know I, what I mean? It's called Wisdom Speaks. Yes. In fact, while you were speaking earlier, I pulled it up on my computer. Oh, and I wow. think I've actually Everything. read it on here before. <laughs> but I want you to read it again because it's yeah. so yeah. good. Yeah. To me, this is really, it's everything. And it's, it, it speaks to the core of the mm-hmm. spiritual process and of the spiritual life. So it's called Mother Wisdom Speaks. Some of you I will hollow out. I will make you a cave. I will carve you so deep the stars will shine in your darkness. You will be a bowl. You will be the cup in the rock collecting rain. I will hollow you with knives. I will not do this to make you clean. I will not do this to make you pure. You are clean already. You are pure already. I will do this because the world needs the hollowness of you. I will do this for the space that you will be. I will do this because you must be large, a passage. People will find their way through you, a bowl. People will eat from you, and their hunger will not weaken them to death, a cup. To catch the sacred rain. My daughter, my son, do not cry. Do not be afraid. Nothing you need will be lost. I am shaping you. I am making you ready. Light will flow in your hollowing. You will be filled with light. Your bones will shine. The round, open center of you will be radiant. I will call you brilliant one. I will call you daughter. 
Son, who is wide, I will call you transformed. Mm. <clears throat> Thank you so much for reading that. If you want to hear more episodes on spirituality and activism, check out listentotherising.com. And even better, subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. See you next time on The Rising. Thank you.